Hey, Var Minions, sit down for a second. I need to have a little word. Comfy? Okay. So, Paul and I try really hard to make this place a zone that's largely free of the outside world, a place where you can come and learn about animals and talk with other animal lovers. We discourage discussion about religion and politics, for instance, but you know what? We are also not unaware that the world is happening around us, and sometimes we have to be responsible and say something when it's important. Right now is one of those times. Briefly, I want to talk about where Paul and I are coming from. You don't see it, but behind the scenes, we're always sorting out what meanings there are behind the things we want to discuss, especially pop culture. We want to be inclusive, and we think deeply about the feelings of our audience. Paul is religious. I'm an atheist. We obviously don't agree about that, but somehow we find a way to support each other and focus on our main goal, learning about animals. We do agree on a great many things. We are both anti-racist, we are LGBTQ allies, and yes, we think black lives matter. Just now, it's important for us to specifically point these things out. As it relates to the content of our show, we encourage you to do a little reading about how black people are treated when they try to go enjoy nature and wildlife. Paul and I think it is wrong for people to worry about their safety and peace of mind when they want to look at wildlife and learn about animals. So just for now, we're letting you know this is not a safe place for people who hate others. We appreciate your kindness and support, and we treasure all of you, our Verminions. All of you. Thanks, and be nice to animals. Fox 21 Morning News. You're all live. All local morning newscast starts now. Good morning. Welcome back to your Fox 21 Morning News on this Monday, June 10th. I'm Kimberly Price. I mean, you all just, just <coughs> Justin Chambers, excuse me, uh, happy Monday to you. I just tweeted out about, about the uh, Miller Moth. Mm-hmm. Last year, he had a handle. <gasps> See? Okay. Closest Wait, thing to an animation. <laughs> That's impressive, though. It is impressive. Where is he, though? He's very elusive right now. Well, we saw him a while. He was dive bombing us, and uh, he wanted to do weather with me. And now we don't know where he is. Mm-hmm. He's just he's taking he's he's a coffee landed, break. As long as he doesn't land in my coffee, that would not be good. A lot of people on Twitter and all over Facebook already over these little moths because they just like literally it was like yeah. a switch and. The light for the moth, like a moth to the flame, burns like a thing. Anyway, turned on and now they're here. So uh, it's summertime. Miller moths, there yeah. you go. Well, hello and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep crawl. Slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet one animal at a time. My name's Paul, and I'm not an animal expert. I'm Donna, and I'm also not an animal expert. Today we are talking about moths, if it wasn't clear. Mothy moths! (laughs) Yes, but first, the news. This is Varmin's Headline News with your anchorman. Some guy named Paul. Thank you, Matthew. It is springtime, summertime in Colorado, and that means Miller moths and lots of them. 
right? It does! Yes. Uh, the mods are getting an earlier start this year, and this will be the first substantial flight since 2016. There's an entomologist named Dr. Whitney Cranshaw. He says that lower moisture in the high country forces the mods into areas where there are more flowers, like in local yards and where uh, there's plants and grasses and, and landscapes and sprinkler systems, and uh, that attracts the moths. And you are seeing a bunch of them right now, aren't you? Yep. It's a it's a summer thing. You know how you um in Florida when it's frog season you everybody who lives there is like, Yep, frog e season. Yes. And I know all about what that's about. That's what Miller moths are in Colorado. Sure. You just tell somebody from Colorado that, you know, it's oh gosh, it's Miller moth season and they will give you a, a very somber stare, like, Yep. <laughs> yeah. Gird up your loins, you know. <laughs> it's like there's so many of them there's so many of them oh my god my cats and they get in the house you know we don't really spend time outside at all because we're both i mean i'm a dedicated indoorsman just like our friend chris <laughs> right <from laughs> let's mention his podcast the gravity beard podcast we're both dedicated indoorsmen so <laughs> which you would think I'm not going to get any moths in my house. But no, you will. Like, oh, no. They fly in every time we open the door to let the dogs out. Every time we come in and out of the house to take the garbage out or Kurt comes in to, from work or whatever. Just any time you open a door, there's going to be a Miller moth just sitting right there by the door going, <laughs> I'm going to go inside and get eaten by a cat. <laughs> <laughs> and they will fly at you. And I don't know why they do, because they can't hurt you, and I don't think it's aggression. I think they're just, like, super... I don't. Maybe it's because they're um, they're out there trying to find a mate. So they're like, anything, anybody, anybody, <laughs> hello, hi, are you a moth? <laughs> You're not a moth? Okay, that's fine. And they're flying off. I don't. I have no idea, actually, but they will fly at you. They will, they will a accidentally land in your coffee cup. This is oh, the lady on the news at the beginning of the segment was like, as long as he doesn't land in my coffee cup, they will. They'll just fall in your drink. There's so many of them. <laughs> it's like, so Colorado people outside in the summertime, will you will see them putting their hands over their drinks a lot during middle moth season. They'll like oh, take, a, take a sip and they put their hand over the top of their cup. Yeah. I don't want a moth in my coffee. Thank you. <laughs> so this news article I found... It's a, it's about a month old as we're recording this right now, and mm -hmm. it says it's going to be a particularly heavy season. Has it been? Yeah. It's heavier than normal? Yeah, because if it's a dry winter, then like the guy was saying uh, in the news article, that they have to come down from the mountains and they, they get, have to get more sustenance from public parks and people's gardens and stuff like that. Normally they step in the high country if... If it's a nice wet winter, but they have left enough moisture that they can hang out there. Although there's, they always migrate through here. Always, mm -hmm. um, it's just some years there's more of them than others. And if it's a pretty dry winter, you're gonna have a heck of a lot of moths in the summer. So that is indeed what is happening. <laughs> so, wow. And it's sad too because they're kind of. I think moths are adorable, and they're so cute. But these guys are not the cute kind. They're not the kind that sit there with their wings spread out. They're the kind that have their wings folded in when they land. Okay. And so they look more, their shape is a little bit more like a 
cockroach. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, like they have that, they're a little more streamlined and they don't look cute, you know. Oh. And it's not their fault that humans don't find that particularly, like, for some reason, humans find the moth with the wings all spread out to be beautiful, but the moth with the wings folded in, we find sort of disgusting. So, weird human brains, I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> But so yeah, they're they're not the they're not the beauty queens of the moth kingdom. But <laughs> they, right, I'm sure they serve a purpose, and there are probably many, many, many urban wildlife critters that are just munching their heads off out there like crazy, <laughs> just having the best time. Like there's so much food, whatever. This is awesome. <laughs> Birds and who knows what. So. Yeah, this article I pulled up says that this lasts for up to six weeks. So mm-hmm. are you in the middle of it? Are you in the thick of it? Where are you at in this um, Miller Moth invasion? I don't know, because uh, you can't judge what climate change is by local climate. However, on the flip side, it does actually alter local climate. And our climate is definitely changing along with the planet, so I don't know the answer to that. In a normal year, we'd probably be about in the middle, but I don't know. <laughs> so it's supposed to go longer than normal so i'll let you know valera's like eh, we're right in the middle of munch 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 <laughs> <laughs> like i have the laziest cats in the universe i dare you to show me that your cat is lazier than mine my cats are <laughs> the laziest cats and they're they're like we want to stalk and hunt these guys I'm like really yeah no for sure we really do you guys won't even stalk and hunt, like, anything that looks like a mouse, <laughs> or I'm pretty sure that if we had a mouse in our house, that it would just set up a little apartment somewhere in the walls, and it would just have a TV, and the cats would probably bring it popcorn and stuff. <laughs> like They'd a Tom like, and Jerry cartoon. Yeah. They'd just be like, whatever, dude, it's not bothering us. <laughs> but the moths are, they're nemesis, apparently. I don't know. That's Sorry. amazing. <laughs> I'm going on about it forever, but no, it's fine. Again, for Coloradoans, this is kind of a local big deal. So, <laughs> <laughs> and the Colorado Varmanians we have are sitting there going, "Nod, nod, nod, yep. nod." I have a moth story. I have a moth story. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yes, very much so. So, just as a reminder, go to Varmints dot podbean.com for links to our audio and our show notes for today's episode we're also on twitter and instagram at at varmints podcast all one word and at varmints podcast at gmail.com for questions comments stories and suggestions we have a pinterest board that is run by a loyal varminion and we love them so go over there and take a look and if you want um merchandise for our show go over to redbubble we have all sorts of wonderful merch there just put varmints in the search engine you'll find us varmints podcast you can get a shower curtain or leggings leggings (laughs) (laughs) i don't think we have leggings in our actual thing maybe i should just put them there just because i think we do do we? We can add them at least. We can put leggings in there. Let's add them just because it's funny. <laughs> if, you, if you buy leggings with the Varmint's logo on them, you will be our hero for for all time. We might just name the podcast after you. <laughs> the Varmint's podcast. <laughs> Brought to you by Brought to you, you by the person who bought the Varmint's leggings yeah. on the red <laughs> 
Oh, I just feel like having our massive logo on your butt and, and <laughs> our, our cute little <laughs> our cute little opossum. <laughs> just really silly. It's such a silly idea, and it doesn't cease to amuse me. So I don't know what that says, <laughs> but I find it funny every time I think about it. All righty. Let's get into it. Let's let's learn about moths. Have you ever wondered about animals? What do they look like? Where do they live? Why are some of their legs also hands? Well, we have. So it's time to learn about animals. So we, of course, are learning about moths today. Moths are insects in the order Lepidoptera, along with butterflies. We did an episode about butterflies not long ago. I think Lepidoptera is one of the coolest words I've ever heard. Lepidoptera. It's fun to say. (laughs) Lepidoptera. There are about 160,000 species of moths in the world, give or take, because they're always finding new ones. They are found living and breeding all over the world. Anywhere where there are trees and moisture, you're going to find moths. Moths have been fluttering around on this planet for quite a while. Fossils of moths have been found that may be 190 million years old. So way before butterflies, there were moths. Of course, sizes and shapes and colors may vary, but moths look quite a lot like butterflies. The easiest way to tell the difference between a moth and a butterfly is by their wings. Mm -hmm. Butterflies usually rest with their wings closed, whereas moths rest with their wings open. Yep. Most of the time. Most of the time. I mean, there's always going to be, there's going to be outliers when you have 160,000 species. Yep, for sure. That's a lot of moths. That's a lot of moths. The largest moth is the Atlas moth. It has a wingspan of nine and a half inches or 24 centimeters, which is Those nuts. guys are so cool looking too. Have you seen them? Oh yeah, they're amazing. They're beautiful. They're and just gorgeous. Huge. And they're enormous. They look heavy. You know? They do. Like, wow. They're probably heavier than a hummingbird, I bet. I would... I, I bet. Yeah. Here's a little interesting thing I found. Atlas moth cocoons are sometimes used as small pocket change purses in Taiwan. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dang. That's crazy. Yeah. So that's the biggest moth. There are about 1,850 species of Microlepidoptera, or micromoths. Yeah, there's a bunch of them, and they have a wingspan of only a couple of millimeters. So little, little, teeny, tiny guys. There are some tiny, teeny guys that like to feed off of the clover that I see in Colorado. Ah. And they are white, and they're so cute. (laughs) The English word moth comes to us from Old Norse, German, Old English, and Middle English words that look and sound a whole lot like moth. But in the 14th century, the word was only used to refer to the larva and usually in reference to devouring wool fabric. Mm-hmm. And then adult moths were commonly called butterflies, but right. then they just wind up calling all of them moths after a while when they, when they, you know, when they found out that there was a difference between butterflies and moths, that's right. when they started calling adult moths moths. Right, right. There are no male or female names for moths, or just moths. There are larvae, pupa, and adult moths, and that's it. And the collective noun for moths is a whisper or a universe. Ooh. Yeah, I like that. That is really cool. I like a whisper of moths. Did you know why moths have 
fluffy antenna instead of the ones with a little club on the end, like butterflies? Please tell me. I have no idea. This was surprisingly difficult to find out. There's lots of um, information out there that says that they do and describes the the structure and all that kind of stuff, but not many places that tell you why, like what's the actual deal with this. And so I'm just going to give you a little rundown of a, a blogger that kindly did all of the research so that I didn't have to. Which was oh, great. I love it when they do that. Awesome. So I went to a blog called Cater Pickles, and they did real good research. They have their sources are cited at the bottom, and I was completely impressed by their article. So I'm just going to go ahead and give them the credit and tell you. I'll give you a summary of what they found. Cool. So butterflies and moths use their antenna to smell out food and to find a mate. Um, they are dotted, the antenna, with sense receptors, and they can pick up the scent of flowers or pheromones given up uh, by a potential mate. And so the feathery construction of a moth's antenna gives them sort of a higher capacity for smell than butterflies. So they can actually smell more stuff just because there's more super surface area with more smelling cells on the structure. Okay. Interesting. Pretty amazing. So moths can smell things so well, they can track down a mate more than seven miles away. Wow. Or your cup of coffee. Or your cup of coffee. <laughs> Might smell like their mate. I don't know. Maybe that's why. <laughs> I don't know. And also, the feathery antenna help moths navigate at night. So... They both use their antenna to, to, to get information about how the wind is moving when they're flying around, and that helps them navigate long distance because it helps them achieve some stability while they're in the air. But um, butterflies are typically day flyers, so they really don't need them, but moths fly mostly at night. So again, having those fronds with much more sensory equipment surface area gives them... Um, a better ability to know what they're flying around and and to know that they're going to fly into a person, apparently. <laughs> they have also these specially developed little sensors at the, at the base of their antenna, and they're called mechanosensors, and they are the things that keep the moths flying straight in the dark. So as they fly through the air, the antennae get pushed around by the little air currents, and they sense this mechanical movement through their mechanosensors, and they use that information to help them steer. So, pretty amazing. Wow. How cool is that? That's little very cool. little feathery antenna. They also look fabulous. They do. They're very fashionable. <laughs> they really are. <laughs> nice. Fashionable moths. So thank you, Cater Pickles. I will be putting the link to your blog in our show notes. And thank you for doing that research because I was having a hard time. <laughs> That's Woo-hoo. awesome. Yes. I'm going to talk about why moths are drawn to artificial light. So you've heard the uh, expression like a moth to a flame, which kind yes. of describes someone who has a, a self-destructive attraction to something else. Right. There's a few theories as to why moths gravitate toward candles and artificial lighting. And most people will tell you that, well, they think that the light is the moon. And that's why they're headed toward that light. Without knowing what, one way or the other, of course. Without knowing one way or the other. Some entomologists believe that moths are attracted to unnatural light sources because the lights throw off the internal navigation systems that the moths use. Hmm. 
But 190 million years ago, there were no artificial lights. All the light on the Earth came from either the sun or the moon or the stars. And there's a behavior called transverse orientation that a lot of insects use where they fly at a constant angle relative to a distant light source like the moon. So when you introduce a man-made light, like a campfire or a porch light, the angle to the light source changes as a moth flies by, it confuses the moth, and it changes its direction. So it kind of really is the moon? Well, here's the problem. Mm -hmm. Campfires have been around as long as people have been around. Brush fires, fires in general, have been around a very, very long time. Yes. So, And the other thing is that moths may not even use this transverse navigation because anywhere from 50 to 70% of moths don't migrate. And so they don't need to use transverse navigation. But they still exhibit this behavior of, of, you know, flying toward light. An interesting thing happened in the 1970s. An entomologist discovered that the infrared light spectrum emitted by a candle flame Mm -hmm. contained a few of the exact same frequencies of light that's given off by uh, female moths' pheromones, which are luminescent. They give off a very, very faint glow. So male moths are maybe attracted to candles because they were seeing females sending out sex signals. The problem with that is that moths are way more attractive to UV lighting than they are to candles. Entomologists have also found that moths are less attracted to artificial lighting during the week of the full moon than they are during the new moon week, A later study found out that it's not that they aren't attracted to lights as much when the moon is bright. It's that they aren't as active during that time because the light doesn't drop off as much at night. Usually darkness is what triggers their activity. So why do moths fly toward lights? We don't know. We don't know. (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) We don't know. People have had ideas. Entomologists have had ideas. But it's this is one of those cases where they exhibit this behavior, and I love it when this happens, when we find an animal that has some behavior or some characteristic, and we have no idea why why that happens. Uh, it's most likely because they think that light, the light source is the moon. That's the best guess. But the actual reason why, it just we just haven't discovered it yet. So kids, young people, if you're listening... And you think, ah, I'm not going to become a, an entomologist or a biologist. We've learned all there is to learn about animals. We haven't. So go go be an entomologist and figure out why moths are flying into into lights. Oh, my gosh, yeah. There's, there's so, so much, much to learn. There's what we know about our universe and our planet. You, you could fit in a thimble. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, there's still so much to know. Go out and do science, young people. <laughs> the IUCN status of moths Um, with so many species of moths it's just not easy for the IUCN to keep track of them all Uh, insects in general are declining around the world because of global warming Mm -hmm. of the 160,000 species 870 species have been assessed 245 of those assessments are out of date so most moths are going to fall under either the least concern or the insufficient data categories. Right. Worldwide insect numbers are down. So this is probably the case for, for moths, too. The only endangered moth I could find is the fabulous green sphinx moth in Hawaii. 
That's actually called the Fabulous Green Sphinx? That's yes. awesome. <laughs> we thought that it was extinct until it was rediscovered in 1998, and I guess they're doing fine. So if you want to see moths for yourself, you can pretty much just go outside in the evening and find a porch light or a street light, or you can go to Colorado where they're everywhere. You don't have to go to a zoo or anywhere to see moths. They are absolutely everywhere, and we have tons of them here, too. They are just like just everywhere yep so we are going to talk about moths and pop culture and a couple other things but we're going to do that right after i tell you a little bit about patreon we have a patreon we use that patreon money to keep the podcast running we use it to buy merch for you guys and we do donate some of it from time to time to uh causes and charities that are you know taking care of animals and being nice to animals so if you want to join patreon Patreon.com slash varmints. As little as a dollar a month gets you benefits. So, and you'll always get this stuff for free. But if you want to support us on Patreon, we really would appreciate it so very much. And we thank those of you who are supporting us through Patreon already. Well, I do want to mention that our, if you are a patron of our show, you do get like a little early release sometimes. Yep. But also you get um, extremely early access to Paul eating things videos that are... Paul's Food Box. Absolutely. <laughs> I do not watch Paul's Food Box because I cannot handle it. <laughs> the, I uh, love you, buddy, but no. The no. last one I did, I made garlic knots, though. They didn't come mm -hmm. out perfect, but I made garlic knots. Yeah, but what did you eat? Was oh, that I, the thing? Garlic knots? Yeah, that was knots? the thing. I, get, I made garlic knots and I ate garlic knots. They're my, well, they're how my... did I miss that you weren't eating a weird thing then? Well, because sometimes I don't always eat weird things, but sometimes I eat good things. Oh, well, I guess I better keep my eye on it a little closer. Because <laughs> every time I'm like, ugh, I'm not watching that. <laughs> Gross. I'm going to watch you eat scorpions. Yeah. <laughs> Patreon.com slash varmints. Thanks, guys. Well, this here's Animal Rancher and Expert at Large, Cotton Shorts. You know Paul and Don are just a couple of nerds like you, and they don't usually get to see animals in the wild. But so we'll talk about where they usually do get to see them, which is to say on popular culture, books, movies, television, and video games. I grew up with the Godzilla movies. I'm a Me big too. fan of those. Yeah, they're they're so good. So I had to talk about Mothra. Yes. Mothra is a giant ancient moth goddess, mostly known for her appearance in kaiju movies like Mothra vs. Godzilla, and most recently in the 2019 Godzilla film Godzilla King of the Monsters, which is ah, uh, if you like Godzilla movies, it is so good. It's so good. <laughs> Mothra originally appeared in a serialized novel called The Luminous Fairies and Mothra. And yes. then there was a feature film produced by Toho, which spun off from that. I talked a little bit about the film production company Toho in the Sea Turtle episode. Mm -hmm. They were responsible for a lot of the kaiju movies that began in the 1960s with Godzilla and Rodan and Gamera. What sets Mothra apart is that she's the first female monster in the series. Yes. She is sometimes referred to as the queen of the monsters or Mrs. Mothra. 
<laughs> and she's always portrayed as being benevolent toward mankind. Mothra is almost always accompanied by two miniature twin priestesses named the Shobijin on Infant Island, and they, they summon and they communicate with her, or they're somehow connected with her telepathically. Mothra is almost always portrayed as a kind and benevolent creature, causing destruction only as collateral damage while protecting the Earth from a greater threat, protecting her eggs from destruction, or in the case of the very first Mothra movie, rescuing the kidnapped Shobijin. Mothra, who defies warplanes. Wrecks ocean liners. Smashes dams and bridges. Mothra, creating hurricanes. Mothra, enveloped in a shell that no human force can penetrate. Mothra, indestructible, all-powerful, indescribable. What kind of creature is this god monster, Mothra? It's <laughs> a giant moth, obviously. Can you not have eyes? Can you not see? Mothra. What kind of, what kind is it? It's yeah, a moth. It's a moth. <laughs> Mothra has a number of abilities and attacks such as flight, of course, biting with her mandibles, emitting a yellow poisonous powder or a stream of silk to disorient or trap her enemies. Mothra can create, <laughs> I just like the way that guy says Mothra in the trailer, like a Mothra. <laughs> causes tornadoes Mothra giant winged bug Mothra <laughs> she can create gales with her wings to knock buildings and other kaiju down she can shoot laser beams from her antenna she can shoot lightning from her wings she can shoot poisonous stingers from her abdomen the one thing that must have been a really really cool job was to write like the scripts for these movies because nothing is canon in Godzilla movies, right? Mm -hmm. You can just kind of give the the monsters abilities and weapons that they didn't necessarily have in the previous movie. Because, you know, if there's a problem that needs to be solved, they can just sort of make a make a weapon that can that can like fix the problem. Mm -hmm. So so Mothra and Godzilla and Gamera, they wind up with all these different abilities that don't necessarily, you know, they're like one-offs for every movie. Oh, in this movie, Mothra is going to shoot fire out of her antenna. But you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. yeah. The kaiju movies were so much fun. I oh, they're Mothra. so great. We loved those. Oh. <laughs> Mothra has appeared in 25 movies, 34 video games, 7 books, and 9 comics. Go Mothra. Yeah. It's clearly your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how much fun is that? What, ours was a... Uh, um, those movies were always shown on sa uh, Sunday afternoons. Sunday afternoon matinee. Nice. AWGN Channel 2. Oh, those movies are the best. Yeah. And that 2019 Godzilla King of the Monsters movie, I can't, I can't overstate how good that movie was. If you like those kinds of movies and you, I mean just turn off your brain and watch that movie I mean you if you're you have time do it yeah it's just <laughs> the best the best it's so cool love Mothra now I am going to talk about this is a little strange kind of maybe not really uh, something you might think of right away with moths in pop culture but 
Do you remember in Lord of the Rings when Gandalf is stuck on top of the Tower of Orthanc and a tiny moth comes up and lands in his hand? Do you remember that? I mean, I a lot of people that are listening right now are, sh- are shaking their heads yes, but I'm not a big Lord of the Rings guy, so I, I don't know. Oh, it's a I'm wonderful sorry. scene. It's a wonderful scene, and it's so cool because he... The moth flies up. Gandalf has just been imprisoned there by Saruman, who is a bad guy. And he's put him up there, and Gandalf, in the movie, whispers a message to the moth that he he tells him to go and find uh, one of the great eagles to come and rescue him. And uh, the moth is so cute because it sits, it lands in his hand, and I always imagine that he's going, what are you doing all the way up here, Gandalf? <laughs> <laughs> like that, I always just like the idea that a moth was just happened to be flying by and was like, look, oh, that's Gandalf. I know that guy. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing all the way up here? And he talks to him, and in the scene, you can see the little moth, his, his little antenna move around, and it looks like he's listening. And it's really cute, so it's it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, and it is not canon. This is not in the book. So, And the reason that it is not in the book <laughs> is because of Radagast. There's one of the wizards, he's called, he's called Radagast the Brown. And this whole scene, I mean, just his whole involvement, they had to cut out any idea of putting Radagast in here. And he's the one who eventually helps Gandalf get away because of... I'll just have to sum it up. It's stuff that's been that happens before this scene, right? So everybody's kind of on the out, out looking out for Gandalf already. So and the the moth just exists in the movies, but the possible source that they got it from is Gandalf's parting words to Radagast at the Council of Elrond way before. And what he says to Radagast is, "We shall need your help and the help of all things that will give it." Send out messages to all the beasts and the birds that are your friends. Tell them to bring news of anything that bears on this matter to Saruman and Gandalf. Let the messages be sent to Orthanc. So you can sort of see where the director was like, okay, so all the creatures are already looking out for Gandalf and Saruman. So it makes sense that we could use a creature of some sort (laughs) as the deliverer of messages. And so that's what they did and of course in the books the great eagle comes directly to Orthanc and uh, there's no there's no indication that he was summoned or conjured from the moth but that's sort of the implication you know what I mean (laughs) so and it says in the book so it was that the summer waned and there came a night of the moon and Gwaihir the wind lord swiftest of the great eagles came unlooked for to Orthanc and found me standing on the pinnacle so pretty cool and the moth also appears in the movies during the Black Gate open scene where it presages the eagles. And likewise in the Hobbit movie as well. So it's pretty fun to have that little moth there. So really cool. And in the scene, you can see the little moth moving his little antenna. Like I said, he's like, okay, I take your message, Gandalf. Don't fall off, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's the best thing ever. So I wanted to know what species of moth it is, and it is a moth called the Emperor Gum Moth. It's a New Zealand species, and that's where the fil- filming was done. And uh, you can take a look at the at that species of moth and then take a look at the scene and kind of see for yourself. 
little little moth guy. So yeah, nice, very cool. Love it. It's not in the books, but still amazing. Mummy, what's for dinner? It's the elbow of a snake. <laughs> Mummy, I can't eat that. Well, would you eat that? No. <laughs> no, I'm not eating a moth. Forget it. It's not happening. I've eaten worse. You could sit around and eat some moths with my cats. I'm sure they'd be really happy to have you. I'm sure. You know, Valera and Mal would look at you like, it's good, right? So we just recorded the live stream for The Cure where I went on and I ate a very um, unwise amount of dried insects that are food grade and, and edible. And I think moths would be, I think moths would be an improvement over what I ate. Hmm. <laughs> I still don't know who sent me the bag of dried insects. They still haven't come out. <laughs> you remember last year somebody sent me, yes. an anonymous person sent me um, through Amazon a bunch of dried human quality edible insects, which went straight in the bin. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm not eating it. And I looked at the I looked at the ingredients thinking, well, I could probably feed some of these to my cats. I bet they'd enjoy it. And just a lot of them had ingredients that I thought, mm, I don't think I like that for kitty consumption. So Yeah. Um so I was like, nope. I'm just pitch. Just throw them right in the garbage. <laughs> and nobody has ever come forward to say it was them. I didn't mention it for a really long time, hoping that the person who did it would get frustrated by their joke not landing. <laughs> <laughs> And would out themselves, but they never did. So, there you go. If you want to send me dried insects, you can send me them, and I will. I'll eat them for you. I'll eat them for you on Patreon. I have suspicions. I think that I think it might have been Clay Groves, but <laughs> I think he would deny it. So, <laughs> <laughs> is your brain a repository of useless information? Yep. Well, let's help everyone win that next trivia night. Or just sound smarter than the rest of the room with the Animal Fact of the Week. All right, moths. They eat things in your closet. They damage crops. They fly into lights. Uh, birds and lizards and amphibians and and probably your dog or your cat and other insects eat them so they're the, the edamame of the insect kingdom <laughs> they fall into your coffee but did you know that moths are also very effective pollinators I did know this I did not until I looked at this a, a University College London study showed that moth pollen transport networks are larger and more complex than networks for daytime pollinators the researchers found that moths transport pollen from most of the plants visited by other pollinators, like bees and wasps and butterflies, but the moths also interacted with plants that are not commonly visited by other pollinators. The study also showed that moths carry the pollen on their chests, and that makes transferring the pollen to other plants very, very easy. Because the majority of moths are nocturnal, they complement the work of the daytime pollinators, and without them, many more plant species and animals that rely on them for food would be at risk. Bees are unfortunately in decline, 
Uh, a lot of research is focused on bees, as it should be. But researchers said that the role moths play in pollinating plants hasn't been studied nearly as much. Uh, again, kids, if you want to go to school and study about moths, there's plenty to learn. The best way to protect moths around you is to reduce pesticide use and protect their habitat. Uh, a wide variety of plants and flowers around your house. Uh, if that's how you're situated, it helps all insects, but it helps moths too. Moths are important. They're they're a pest, but they're important. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, we could argue that humans are a pest. <laughs> humans are definitely a pest. Pestilential humans everywhere. <laughs> they breathe like humans. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to talk about the peppered moth. This okay. is interesting because... Um, this is something that ends up in our biology textbooks a lot of the time. You'll learn about the peppered moth in, in school when you very first start learning about evolution. And it's just a very interesting story, so I thought we'd talk about that. Cool. There's a species of moth in England, and they're called the peppered moth. They have two varieties, light gray and dark gray. The light gray version used to be far more common but researchers have observed that between 1848 and 1898, the dark-colored ones were becoming more common, and in fact, only 2% of the moths near an industrial city were light gray. The change in moth coloration occurred at the same time that coal was beginning to be a big source of power in England. It's not a very clean energy source, and burning a lot of it put lots of soot in the air near London and other industrial cities. And the soot would settle over everything. Buildings, tree trunks, everything. And the tree trunks turned from light gray to black. Can you imagine? Huh. Oh, gross. Wow. Peppered moths are active at night, but they rely on places where they can blend in to avoid predators. And during the day, light-colored pepper moths were no longer well camouflaged by the darkening tree trunks. So the dark-colored moths were well camouflaged. So because predators were able to spot light moths more easily, the dark moths were the ones that were more likely to survive and make babies and have those babies make babies. And eventually, moths in industrialized areas in England were predominantly dark, the dark variety. And in non-industrialized regions, where tree trunks were still light in color, remained predominantly light in color. Okay? Wow. Okay. So, se several scientific studies have tested the hypothesis that peppered moth coloration was due to natural selection. So, there was a scientist called Kettlewell, who bred both varieties of moths, and marked them so that he would know when he found them again. And then he released some of each variety into a region where pollution was high, and some of each variety into a region where he knew pollution was low. Kettlewell later went out to recapture as many as he could find from both areas, and he found more dark moths in the polluted area and more light moths in the low pollution area, suggesting that the more of the dark ones survived in the soot-covered industrial setting, and more of the light-colored ones survived where tree trunks remain light in color. And this supports the hypothesis, the hypothesis, the hypothesis <laughs> that the change in the moth color was caused by natural selection because more of the dark ones survived to make babies who made babies. So they were more fit for that environment. The peppered moth is a case of an example of natural selection, therefore. And in this case, changes in the environment caused changes in the characteristics that were most beneficial for survival. 
you can track these things much easier in species that um, reproduce and die quickly. So this is the kind of thing where you're going to find that solid evidence of evolution like by natural selection. Like it's right there in front of your face and you mm-hmm. can see it and you can see it happen very quickly in species like this. Other species like giraffes and us and elephants and, you know, (laughs) sloths and things like that. It might take many, 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 many years for these kinds of changes to happen um, because they just live so much longer and there's so much more work that goes into making babies and stuff. But in species like this, it's much easier to find. So this particular type of natural selection, when it amounts to gene varieties shifting in a particular direction in response to a new factor in the environment, is called directional selection. Oh, nice. And I know that there has been some continued research on this particular event recently, so um, you should go and check it out for yourself. Because I there's there's stuff to add. There's always stuff to add, you know. But uh, that's a, it's one of the most interesting things that happened in, when people were trying to figure out how natural selection works. And that's one way that it works. Pretty cool, huh? Very cool. I couldn't help but yeah. think about uh, Darwin's finches when we did our episode about finches. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very much yeah. the same thing where they could just see... They could just see it happening right in front of you their faces. You can see it happening. It's not even a question that it's happening. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Very that's cool. Absolutely. That's how it works. That's one of the first things that I ever learned about evolution, and I thought it would be fun to talk about on the Moth Show. That's really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening today. Our show is brought to you with technical support by Matthew Chomo, bed music by Kevin McLeod. Our logo was created by the very talented Imran Javed. Our vocal talent today was Stacy and Frosty and Justine and Santiago. Oh, and and, uh, and cotton shorts. <laughs> and cotton shorts. <laughs> of course, cotton shorts. Of course. Our buddy. Our buddy. Hey, it's the time for the Rugrat Corner. If you have a Rugrat who's eight years of age or younger or wants to be on our podcast, send us a message on Facebook or email us at varmintspodcast at gmail.com, and we will give you the details It's and make it very easy for you and your Rugrat to hear their voice on the podcast. Do we have a Rugrat today? We do. Chris Brayton from the I Like to Like Things podcast, his oldest daughter, who we oh. will not name, has sent us a clip, okay. and she has something to say about moths. Wait, I'm anxious to hear it. Let's do it. Hi, Paul. Hi, Donna. Let's Hello. talk about some moths. Yeah. What do you know about Let's moths? Let's do it. I know that they form, they wrap themselves in silk instead of of a thick skin like butterflies do. So it's fuzzy? So it's fuzzy. Oh, so that's the main difference between butterflies and moths, huh? Yeah, and also their antennae are... Like feathers. They're fluffy? They're fluffy. Sometimes moths are just <laughs> fluffier, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so their antennas are fluffy. Their antennas are fluffy. Their wings go down instead of up. Oh, when they're resting? Yeah, when they're resting. Have you seen any ones that are like giant? Yes. I know. We have some big moths. Yeah. I know. We just watched a video about the, the North America's most giant moth. Yeah. And it was huge. It was bigger than the guy's hand. Yeah. What did you think of that? <laughs> it it was crazy. 
Uh-huh. It was crazy. <laughs> and he said that they only lay their eggs on a Pacific tree. Uh-huh. And and then the and then the caterpillars would eat it up. Right. So the the moths don't always eat, huh? Yeah. Just uh, their babies. That um the the moth has no mouth. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's so funny. What's another cool thing about moths? Um Uh they're the I I find this interesting, but they look like they have hair. They do. And they have scales on their wings. Do we touch their wings? No. No. That'd be horrible, huh? That would. Say, okay. Bye, Rugrats. Bye, Varmints. Bye, Rugrats. <laughs> Bye, dude. Bye, Varmints. Bye, little Varminion Rugrat. <laughs> that was excellent. That was the best. Wow. Thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you to Chris Brayton again. Thank you, guy. Yep. He's always the best. He's the best. Thanks, everybody, again for listening, and until next time, be nice to animals. This has been a transmission of the Podfix Network. For more about this show and other great Podfix programs, go to podfixnetwork.com.